Hey everybody, welcome to Happy Tears. I'm Brandon. And I am Nick, and this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love so much so that it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, two stories set in Brooklyn, New York. First, James McBride's new novel, Deacon King Kong, is about a community in the Causeway Projects where an ensemble cast of characters, stories intertwine in unexpected ways, including love, mystery, crime, and a treasure hunt. Then, the classic Spike Lee joint, Do the Right Thing, which is set in a similar environment of Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. And these two works have so much in common, from their characters and themes to visual aesthetic, and uh, I think they're a great pair together. So that's all coming up, and this is Happy Tears. Hey, amigo. You brushed the dust off yet? I'm trying and failing, but we're yeah. doing okay. Well, yeah, so it's been a while since we've done this, obviously. But if you had to pick, like, one or two things to give us a sense of what you've been watching or listening to recently, anything come to mind? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm going doing another uh, watch of... Well, I never finished Mad Men, so I'm working my way through the second half of it again uh, for the first time, I guess, and... A couple shows that I've been loving lately is one has been uh, the show Better Things. Have you heard of it? No. It's about this uh, mom who's a voice actor. Uh, she's a single mom with three daughters, and it's just kind of her uh, kind of crazy life uh, raising her her daughters. It's really it's really great. The actor that plays the mom does a lot of the writing, and it's kind of based uh, around some some of her uh, I guess true life events but it's kind of a lovely show it's on hulu so i've been cranking through that and then been watching avatar the last airbender and ah uh, yes so yeah that's been super fun i've i was a kid who kind of um watched i caught kind of like episodes here and there but i was never i never watched it all the way through um so I'm finishing up the first season right now, and I'm going to continue with that. It's been a really super fun show. I think it, the storytelling is super great for, you know, for the type of show that it is. And it's just like for the, I don't know, I guess there's not many things in that that caters to that age range that I find kind of so moving, I guess. But I've been really loving that. And then I have watched, let me give you the accurate number real fast, 81 movies Wow! since the pandemic started in March. Whew. And uh, it's been good. I honestly, I've slowed way down. I was I was on like one a day for like you were a long time. <laughs> you were cranking them out for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've slowed down. We've you know we read this book, and I've been I've been listening to more music because we're gonna cover some music in the next couple episodes. And um, plus, you have a game experience. Yeah, I've been the- playing a lot of video games. Yeah, Last of Us Part Two, which is incredible. Uh, it's the pinnacle of video gaming as a storytelling art form. It's just absolutely stunning, beginning to end. I would love to get some some happy tears material from our listeners that we since we've had such a long break. If there's been anything, just like general general I, call for happy tears. 
just a check in. Let's check in with with the peeps on, on where their yeah. happy tears are at. <laughs> in any cool. in any, whatever form they think that is appropriate, I think that's a great idea. So send a, everybody should send us their happy tears because we want to hear about the great things that they are consuming. We'd love some positivity in our lives, and we love hearing from our audience. All right, well, shall we? Uh, shall we dive in? Let's dive right in. All right, so I'm going to read a description of Deacon King Kong by James McBride uh, on Goodreads here. It says, in September 1969, a fumbly, cranky old church deacon known as Sportcoat shuffles into the courtyard of the Cause House's housing project in South Brooklyn, pulls a 38 from his pocket, and in front of everybody, shoots the project's drug dealer at point-blank range. In Deacon King Kong, McBride brings to vivid life the people affected by the shooting, the victim, the African-American and Latinx residents who witnessed it, the white neighbors, the local cops assigned to investigate, the members of the Five Ends Baptist Church where Sportcoat was deacon, the neighborhood's Italian mobsters, and Sportcoat himself. As the story deepens, it becomes clear that the lives of characters caught in the tumultuous swirl of 1960s New York overlap in unexpected ways. When the truth does emerge, McBride shows us that not all secrets are meant to be hidden, and the best way to grow is to face change without fear, and that the seeds of love lie in hope and compassion. So yeah, that's one thing that I think that initially I love so much about this book is just one, these, it seems full of heart, like these larger than life characters. It was written with compassion for a lot of these characters. And it's funny. It's just like, it's a really, there's a lot of humor in this book that was uplifting during this time. So I really loved it. Yeah, totally. It kind of blows you away, right? I mean, there there are so many characters, uh, much like Do the Right Thing, which we'll talk about later, but there are, it is quite the ensemble of, of different characters that all kind of have their different personalities and roles within this community, or if they, you know, some of them are kind of either outcasts or just like not necessarily part of the core community, right? But all of them, he just breathes this life into each one of these characters so beautifully, and there is a lot of humor to it. Yeah, He's great with dialogue, I think, and I I think he's great at at setting up these scenes, but he's also really great at kind of going inside their heads and like explaining as a character goes through a scene where they're coming from and like their history and their thought process. It's just like from inside out, we really get a great sense of all of these different characters, and and he does it with such a poetic voice. Yeah, his... For sure, he's he definitely has a uh, a really unique sense of style, and it comes across as effortless. Like uh, not only him weaving these storylines together, but telling each of their kind of individual stories or kind of their particular groups stories. I mean, it's worth noting that James McBride's a jazz musician, and that he grew up in uh, Red Hook, Brooklyn, and housing project not unlike you know the housing projects in this novel so uh but there is this sense of like kind of playfulness and coolness to it that i feel kind of comes straight from the uh lineage of of jazz and um, that's a great point because because you're right like j- even in just the way that he just kind of bounces 
chapter to chapter from different perspectives and these different characters' storylines, it's very much just like, all right, now the keys are going to get a solo. And then yeah. now we're going to go over to the drums, right? It's Yeah, that's that's a great point. It just holds on to this kind of narrative thread throughout the novel in just a really masterful way. Did you have any favorite characters in this? Yeah, so I, I really... Like I said, he, he does a really great job with, I think, all of these characters. And so I liked pretty much all of them for different reasons. But, well, before I even get to my favorite, maybe I, I, I would love to just start and talk about Sport Coat a little bit. Because he sure. is, despite despite it being, there are many storylines kind of intertwining, he's kind of at the center of all of it, even, even slightly indirectly sometimes, right? He kind of yep. drives the story for the most part. I like Sport Coat a lot. I think he's, the book says he's like a bumbling fool, but he's also like a medical miracle that has like died like three times, but is still here. <laughs> and, you know, he's the one that sets pretty much everything in motion in this book by, in the first couple of chapters, walking up to this drug dealer who we later learn, you know, their relationship and everybody's relationship in, in the cause and shooting this guy, right? And and it kind of sets a lot of things into motion. When I heard that description of this book, it still didn't fully prepare me for the journey I was going to go on in terms of how much love there is in this book, how much these people in this community are so much a part of each other's lives and care for each other, and also the amount of humor. It's like, right? Like, when I heard it's about a guy who walks up and shoots a drug dealer in the face, I didn't, I thought it was going to be much darker <laughs> than, yeah, than it turned sure. out to be, even though there yeah, are the, parts of darkness, but, you know. Yeah, it's not, Um, it's definitely focused on its themes for sure, but it, it does it in a way that's he handles it with a bunch of care, I feel like. And I think just compassion is just a, a, a good word for it. I, I love these kind of, uh, there's a farcical kind of nature to some of the, some of the story where totally. it seems a bit larger than life. And it remind that part reminds me of, um, the amazing adventures of Cavalier and Clay. I found there to be some similarities in how they're set in different parts of New York, but just some of these specific but larger than life kind of characters and then some things that kind of go into this outlandish territory but it never ventures too far out it stays grounded enough throughout where it uh just really works and then i mean yeah and then the writing the writing's great so it's easy to it's easy to keep reading i think up front he kind of throws a good bit at you because he's like every chapter kind of changing um to give you kind of a full picture of uh, all the players in this story. And so I think there's a lot up front to kind of grasp onto. But then once you uh, have a handle on it, it's like a smooth sailing in terms of, of reading this. Totally. I, th- I think I was communicating that to you as I was kind of in the middle of it because you read this before me was that up front, it was a little bit laborious to come up chapter after chapter and it's a new character that you have to learn. And, and it's not that it's bad writing or that it's there's anything negative inherently about the content. It is just that, oh, man, this is this is going to be a lot, right? It's almost like they're there <laughs> in, in some yeah. ways. Um, yeah, for but, sure. But I can tell you, like, chapter nine, that was where I was like, oh, I was all in on this. And then from there, <laughs> like, I never, I never looked back. Chapter nine specifically, I wrote down like that was electric and incredible writing. And it was the first time that um, Sister G at the church meets Officer Potts, Detective Potts, whatever, whatever he is 
at mm-hmm. this point. He has a long history with, with the NYPD. So to circle back to your original question, I love those two characters in that relationship of Sister G and, and Potts. The way he writes it, these cops come to the church where they're having choir practice and they start asking questions because there there's been you know there's been a shooting and um the way that and this goes back to kind of what I was saying about how he puts you so much in the heads of these characters as these two start speaking cuz sister G kind of steps up as the leader of the people in this church and and they kind of have a one-on-one dialogue their dialogue but also their internal thoughts that you hear and this like instant connection they have is is really exciting and beautifully written and also kind of tragic in a, in a way because she's it's 1969 and she's a, a married black woman he's a married white man but they instantly kind of have a thing for each other and he's a cop there's so much going on in just that right there and the way that McBride writes it is just so beautiful and there's such a longing and so much excitement like when you first he like captures this idea of like when you first have a crush on somebody and they're like like you're just like so hypersensitive to their every movement and and uh your every movement and wanting to know them so deeply so instantly it's just every time that those two characters came together and i think it's only like three maybe four times throughout the book but from that first time it was electric and every time after that i absolutely was just so enamored with it yeah totally i i definitely agree with them both of them being two of my favorite characters and it seemed like you said it didn't seem like they didn't uh, dwell on certain characters or relationships for too long or um steer your interest in one direction for too long i I felt that uh he does a really great job of kind of weaving this all together and their relationship still feels earned without like the whole story being about them i guess one thing i love about this book is it kind of to me rides this line between like optimism and pessimism I think a lot of the way, like there's a lot of humor, there's a lot of levity throughout, but there's also some real darkness. And sometimes in the way that James McBride describes the world around these characters, there's some rage behind some of that. By the end, I realized just how good of a job he did of kind of balancing a worldview, I guess, because he clearly, as as a black man that was alive in this time and has a very deep understanding of the political and socioeconomic ways that these communities have been oppressed, right? He, he's very familiar with that. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's clear that his mission is to represent the projects in a fair way or he it seems that he feels that they've that these kinds of communities and even with the the church community feels that they've been misrepresented and wanted to breathe some life into these communities in this book that seemed true to him and true to his experience growing up that he seems like are often either overblown or or just uh portrayed without a sense of i don't know like compassion or or there's a spirit to these communities that i think is just that really shines i guess I think that's a great word, spirit, because that's kind of the takeaway I had is there is a lot bringing communities of color like this, especially in the 1960s, a lot of stuff bringing them down, right, or coming down on top of them uh, from a 
political and socioeconomic standpoint. And there's and that totally comes through in the language he uses, especially when he talks about New York at large. Um, he's got some real contempt for the boardrooms and their disregard for the people of you know certain classes. Uh, mm-hmm. But he has so much love for these characters that shine through, and that's where the light comes from, right? The darkness comes in in a form of broader political things, but the light comes from these individuals and and the lives that they live for and with each other. And I just I thought it was really beautiful the way that he kind of balances that kind of light and darkness because you really do see the darkness at certain points. I totally understand there's several passages like that in here that seem uh kind of in the midst of these like really lively situations really cut pretty deep and they're usually pretty long and deal with the history of these communities and their kind of relationship to one another and or like why they're in the situation that they are i feel like having those types of passages what's nice is it uh doesn't pull you out of the story because it's so topical but it the whole thing definitely doesn't feel like that so when they when those passages do come up i feel like they're searing yeah, I think that's a good point. One other aspect I really loved. Again, I, I really love Sister G. There's a particular exchange between Potts and Sister G um, when they're uh, talking in the back of the church. They're outdoors, and Sister G's cutting the uh, weeds. He kind of walks up, and he says, You do this often? And she smiles and says, Not enough. You cut them down, they come right back. You cut them down, they come right back again. That's their purpose, to keep coming. Everything under God's sun got a purpose in this world. Everything wants to live. Everything deserves life, really. Sister G, in so many ways, is kind of this existentialist character that's always talking in... She's almost preaching in a way, right? Like this, everything's got a, got a purpose. Everything does what it does. But I, I appreciate the kind of existentialism that she she brings to this, especially in a, in a world where we are in the middle of large-scale Black Lives Matter protests throughout our country and the world. And, uh, you know, so much, especially with, with the way that this character, this black woman, falls in love with a white cop or has a, has a emotional thing with this white cop, we, maybe I should say. Um, it's just such a fascinating uh, dichotomy between real world events right now where black women were the ones that started the the Black Lives Matter movement to begin with. Uh, their seven year anniversary was just either yesterday or the day before as we're recording this. And so um, the kind of existentialist ideas that she kind of preaches about uh, in her own way and the kind of tragedy between her and Potts's relationship throughout the book because they instantly have this connection but it's it's just like falling in love with the raw the person you're not supposed to right and mm-hmm. and I, I took a lot away from their relationship especially putting it through the context of the way that police and black people relate today and we'll talk about that more when we when we talk about do the right thing. Sounds great. So you think we should maybe move into do the right thing and and touch on some of the similar aspects? Yeah. Man, I gotta go. I'm working. I'm working. Doctor, I'm working. Doctor, this is the mayor talking. All right. All right. Doctor, come on. What? What? Always do the right thing. That's it. That's it. I got it. I'm gone. So do the right thing is the third feature film from director writer, producer, Spike Lee. 
probably still his most famous film of all time, right? I mean, it came out in 1989, so it's set in a similar setting as Deacon King Kong, but but 20 years later, in the late 80s. I think at this point it's fair to say that it is one of the kind of classic American films, right? I would, would think, yeah. I think it I think it uh, belongs in the, the essential American films category. Yeah, so right off the bat, similarities being obviously both set in Brooklyn, similar neighborhoods, for the most part operating within confined spaces, right? Deacon King Kong is got a wider radius than one square block, but it is a lot of it is set within this one housing project. And then the large cast of characters obviously do the right thing. You know, I think some of these characters are like all time. I love Radio Rahim. Me too. Mookie's great. Bugging out. There's so much fun to be had with these characters, just like in the book. It see like each one of these characters kind of serves a purpose. Like you get a real sense of the purpose they serve in their communities, uh, which I think is really cool. I mean, I think Samuel L. Jackson's character is great uh, as the DJ. Of course, Spike Lee stars as Mookie and I think right off the bat we talked about just setting the scene like this movie has one of the coolest intros and it's super stylized but a pretty simple concept but it's really effective and um, just a really cool dance scene with the with the song that kind of I guess reverberates throughout the through the whole story yes the opening of this movie rules it's so powerful and energetic it's really everything that Spike tries to do with his films, right? It's in your face, it's loud, and it is completely different from, I think, what any other director would do to open this film. Yeah, so I think some of the things uh, to note, initially, Spike was talking about how this film was came about or inspired by the murder of Michael Griffith, who was, uh, he was hit by a car and killed after fleeing this uh, mob of white youths after leaving this pizzeria. There's a couple other events in the 80s in uh, New York, but this specifically was um, an inspiration for this. But kind of right away, it talks about how this was like the hottest day of the year and immediately you feel that right between all these amazing colors and this the reds and the the lighting that you kind of just feel like you're drenched in in sunlight is super powerful and it stays kind of throughout the film it's worth noting that that kind of heat uh so to speak plays uh as kind of its own character in this film it plays a uh, a big role and it's a part of the the reason why these tensions are are rising within all of these groups and their interactions so I think the way he does that is just super effective and and really I don't know just original it seems like like he's a young director at this point and doing some really smart things that make you to have like a visceral impact when you're watching this I feel like the director of photography also Eric Dickerson who works on a ton of Spike's movies did some great stuff I I really love when you talk about the heat there's this shot of the they're like the three older men that kind of hang out across the street from the Korean market. Mm-hmm. And there's this shot of them just kind of sitting in their chairs on the sidewalk, a little bit slumped over, they're sweating. They're up, you know, behind them is this super red brick wall. And they put like a f- some sort of flame underneath the camera, like, like yeah. in front of the camera. So it like, you see those heat waves and you just watch these guys... <laughs> It feels like they're cooking, you know, in in right. in the hot sun, and that's only a shot that's there for a couple of seconds, I think. Um, but it's just the, those little things, those little accents that make it clear that this is the hottest day of the summer. 
and and you're right like the, and and part of why all the tensions rise and I think we can go ahead and say we're going to spoil this movie right this 30 year old movie <laughs> for okay yeah. spoiling when things get out of hand I'll hold off on the spoiler for a minute. <laughs> Spike says, like, I was watching the special features, and he makes sure to tell the whole cast, the reason this goes down is because it's the hottest day of the summer, and people don't act rationally in this heat. Yeah. Uh, I thought another cool connection between Dick and King Kong was the some of the sports references, or, like, uh, I guess Mookie was a, a nickname of this pitcher that Spike got the name from, and named his lead character Mookie, but this baseball connection that he's often seen in this uh, Dodgers jersey and the character in Digging King Kong that gets shot initially that kind of starts the novel off uh, was like a big baseball player in the community. I just think it's cool from both of them. You could really see how like baseball was steeped in Brooklyn and these are, you know, 20 years apart. There's a lot of sports references in both of these, right? So you've got Mookie's wearing the Jackie Robinson jersey. Another character's wearing a Magic Johnson t-shirt or something. There's mentions of Michael Jordan. There's a scene where Mookie and, and I think, is it Pino? Which one's the young one? Pino's the John Turturro John, one. John Turturro. Okay, so yeah. So Mookie and Vito argue about Roger Clemens and Dwight Gooden, these, these pitchers. Uh, baseball pitchers so and then I don't know if you mentioned the the New York Mets are kind of mentioned pretty often in Deacon King Kong because they were a terrible sports franchise up until I think literally that year they won the World Series so but there is something very specific about New Yorkers and their relationships to their sports teams I feel like I don't know if they have any more pride than most people, or maybe it's maybe that's something I'm making up in my head. But like you know, when I I think about the Yankees or the Knicks or or um, mostly those two, <laughs> yeah, I think for sure. And I mean, a lot of that's just a, how you know big New York is and how uh, kind of much of a, a melting pot you get like people that have their their teams, and and not every city has like two sports team like chicago's like that too right where you have the the white Sox and the cubs but where you have like two teams that you're kind of like pick your sides it makes i feel like it makes you more devoted and you have like pride in your specific team and obviously cities have that connection but i feel like cities with two teams like that is even more of like right any, right, anyone right, right. across you know across the way or whatever could be seen as the uh, opponent or whatever yeah one thing i i really loved in Deacon King Kong and also works with Do the Right Thing is the series of events where after Sportcoat has shot the drug dealer Deems in the in the kind of first opening chapters, somebody in the drug hierarchy gets sent after Sportcoat to teach him a lesson, right? And mm-hmm. there's this kind of Tom and Jerry, Sylvester Tweedy kind of relationship where this guy is literally about to whack him in the head and then somebody accidentally whacks him and you know the the assassin <laughs> in the head right it's right, very right. cartoonish um and it's a lot of fun and even like the uh, the last time it happens he ends up like the power goes out in this basement and this guy like slips in and he's you know about to get him and then gets electrocuted somehow and th- the way he writes it is actually really suspenseful and great as a series of events it happens i think three times and it feels very much like a looney tunes cartoon yeah 
I totally agree. It has that um, that kind of chase and excitement with the kind of silliness attached. And, um, and honestly, it is really great just to to piggyback off of that. What James McBride is able to kind of do is is pull in a bunch of di- like you know you've got that that kind of chase aspect of like one storyline but another story is a love story and another story is a treasure hunt right like he brings he kind of brings multiple genres into this one overarching narrative that he intertwines and he does it really well yeah for sure do the right thing is a little more linear narratively it kind of follows more of one but you do kind of go off to the side with certain characters here and there um yeah that it it plays with with the style quite as much but there's a little bit of that yeah, I think it it, it kind of gives you a picture of the different groups. Like it doesn't follow Mookie the whole time, right? Like it makes sure it, the camera's always kind of moving around the different parts of the of the street. And I think that's what gives it this kind of kinetic energy is from those camera movements and these really cool tracking shots. And you have all these like really off kilter shots with using Dutch angles and a lot of these like really intense close ups too. I just think the camera work throughout is really bold and and that's within a lot of spike lee's films you see a lot of things that you'll see in his later movies that become connected with spike but i just think he uses that that tool so so well in this film yeah i really love the way that he plays with point of view it's it's a recurring thing in his movies where he'll have a character either in the scene or as kind of an aside way of, of putting us in the characters' heads, they will look right into the camera. Usually it's like a straight on, like squared up to their shoulders and deliver a line. There's a scene where Pino, the older brother in the pizzeria, and Mookie have an exchange where they, you know, Pino's being racist. Mookie's telling him, you know, who's your favorite athlete magic johnson (laughs) who's your favorite movie star eddie murphy and at the end of that exchange they quote unquote go off on each other with these long racist rants but it's not within the scene it's in another location directly to camera and it's just putting you in the head of this character and then you get that from a bunch of different people right it goes to the korean people and the puerto ricans Dago Wab, Ganey, Garlic Bread, Pizza Slinging, Spaghetti Bending, Victim on Perry Como, Luchado Pavarotti, Solo Meal, Non Singer, Motherfucker. You gold teeth, gold chain wearing, fried chicken and biscuit eating, monkey ate, baboon, big die, fast running, high jumping, spear chucking, 360 degree basketball dunking, titsoon, spade, mulling yarn. Take your fucking pizza, pizza, and go the fuck back to Africa. You little slanty-eyed, mean old speaky American, own every fruit and vegetable stand in New York, bullshit Reverend Sun Young Moon, some Olympic 88 Korean kickboxing sabadam bitch. You Goya bean eating 15 in a car, 30 in an apartment, pointy shoes, red wearing, menudo, meet a meet a Puerto Rican cocksucker? Yeah, you! It's cheap. I got good price for you. Now catch it. How I am doing? Chocolate, egg cream drinking, bagel and deluxe, banana for this Jew asshole. Yo! Hold up! Time out! Time out! Y'all take a chill! You need to cool that shit out! And that's the double truth! Honestly, a lot like James McBride does, he's able to put you in the heads of these characters in, in a very, very effective way. Yeah, that specific technique, you definitely feel like that character's talking directly to you. Those are always pretty intense 
loud, uncomfortable <laughs> scenes, I feel like. We did talk about, like, obviously we were talking about all these comparisons, but it seems that Spike has, like, his films in general come with a kind of different sort of attitude, I feel like. Touching on many similar themes, and I think, uh, like, even you said Spike and James McBride, when they're talking, they remind you a lot of each other, and I could see them just, you know, like, obviously they're connected and and working together but just they're also one year apart and both grew up in brooklyn one of them 63 the other guy's 62 so yeah you could see them having big conversations and i imagine that uh, a lot of their views are similar and they have they're both kind of natural natural storytellers when you listen to them talk they could kind of take something and go on a tangent or or oh yeah take you to a bunch of different places when they're answering a question but but all that to say i think that spike definitely has a little more bite in his films and it's just interesting seeing their different approaches when kind of tackling some of the same uh same issues yeah i think it's interesting that deacon king kong starts with an act of violence but from there the the plot takes off and it finds harmony in the end whereas do the right thing Everything starts off fine and builds and builds and builds until this, till a breaking point. Um, I don't know if that necessarily depicts any sort of philosophical difference between the two, but. Well, I just, I think you, when we talk about what Spike's intentions were, like you had talked about him specifically laying out that this is the hottest day of the year and tensions are high and all these events are playing, uh, playing out within that context. It's pretty different from what. Deacon King Kong is so I guess that's just to say that Spike's story kind of starts off already at the boiling point I guess and it just keeps rising like you like you said it's It's like a pressure cooker like yeah it's like showing the the extreme is already kind of uh set from the from the beginning I guess and then it just shows you know what what people do um under these circumstances it shows there's anger in there obviously I wonder how you saw these characters or like if any of them changed in your multiple viewings of this because one thing that we haven't said is that we both got to see this when we thought about covering it last year yeah for the 30th anniversary right at texas theater right i think so yeah and that was my first time to see the movie yeah so between the two viewings obviously circumstances (laughs) have changed in the world but but just in terms of like do you feel like you saw characters differently between the viewings or? Definitely. You know, I, I've thought a lot about Radio Rahim in the last couple of days. I think Spike taps into a lot of the anger and a lot of the pain of being black in America in his movies in general, right? And I think that in this movie, a lot of that anger is is kind of siphoned through the character of Radio Rahim. My favorite scene in this movie is the love and hate sermon that he he, he, he gives, you know, when Mookie mm-hmm. and, and Radio Rahim run into each other. Let me tell you the story of right hand, left hand. It's a tale of good and evil. Hate. It was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. Love. These five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. The right hand. And of love. The story of life is this. Static. One hand is always fighting the other hand. 
and the left hand is kicking much ass. I mean, it looks like the right hand love is finished. But hold on, stop the presses, the right hand's coming back. Yeah, he got the left hand on the ropes now, that's right. Yeah, ooh, it's a devastating right and hate is dirt. Down, ooh, ooh, left hand hate, KO'd by love. He's preaching about the difference between love and hate, and the point at the end is how love is more powerful than hate. I think that Radio Rahim is more indicative of Spike's internal moral compass than maybe Mookie, and I because th- Mookie's all about doing his thing, getting paid, surviving, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Radio Rahim, I think, is got a little more philosophical in his thinking, right? Uh, he's got the love and hate dichotomy on his hands but a lot of his interactions are are so fueled by anger throughout the whole film right he has a small confrontation with the puerto ricans about who gets to play their music louder right a lot of it has to do with his radio because <laughs> when he can't get the right batteries he's angry at the koreans d motherfucker d learn to speak english first all right d and then obviously moving up to building up to this confrontation with sal that ultimately ends in his death and so I really do think to be black in America obviously you and I are not black but from the reading I've been doing and from you know kind of the anti-racism work that I've been trying to study up on recently there is just so much anger that can build up by being oppressed for so long in in any given country but of course in, in America which is supposed to be the land of the free and I think that Spike really channels a lot of that anger through Radio Rahim, even though I think at his heart, Radio Rahim's a good guy that knows that pow, KO'd by love, love triumphs (laughs) over hate, which makes his death in the end that much more tragic, right? That's the part of the movie that it's so sad that this movie was made 30 years ago and the, the fate of Radio Rahim has been the fate of so many black men and women in the last 30 years, you know, in the last five years, four, three, up to just a couple months ago with George Floyd, who was also choked to death by a knee on his neck. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's crazy. So that was a long winded answer of saying that I, I think about Radio Rahim a lot. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Is yeah, I don't know. There's a, a part of me thinks of like we we already mentioned they're there, um, but a part of me finds a similarity between those two pieces of of art, like and that the the ending being so kind of tragic for all parties involved. I guess like where where did you find like the hopeful elements of it? Like I I definitely find it in the the players of of this like in um mother sister there we go. Yeah. In her like kind of caretaker position, I guess, and someone like Sam Jackson's character who provides something for the community and like all of these like parts that make this community thrive, make it so vibrant, I guess. I guess what I'm trying to say is that hopeful uh, kind of quality to it is really, really makes the the ending all the more tragic. I think, kind of like you were talking about with with um, Radio Raheem's specific character. For a lot of the ending, it's like it, it hits you like a ton of bricks, right? Like the hope isn't. It's not hope forward, right? <laughs> it yeah, is right. You know, you hear these lines like. Did it again, just like Michael Stewart. Murder. Eleanor Bumpers, murder! Damn, man, it ain't safe in the whole fucking neighborhood. Never was, never will be. This plane is dead. They didn't have to kill the boy. You think about 
Tamir Rice, who died because of a toy gun. You think about all these things that are happening in, in our world today, where the hope comes afterwards and the next morning, um, at least where I found it, was the mayor wakes up in her mother-sister's apartment and she says, good morning. And he, he goes, is it a good morning? Which is a great question, right? Like, it is kind of crazy. I, I kind of feel like we all have that reaction after one of these terrible tragedies. Like, the, the next day, it's like, how could this, how can this world be like this? Is this really a good morning? Is it, how do we keep moving forward? Or, you know, and he says, I hope the block is still standing. And she goes, we're still standing. And so that one line of we're still standing, we're still here, we can still move forward and and try to fight for a new world and carry on Radio Rahim's legacy, carry on George Floyd's legacy, try to fight so that there isn't another Radio Rahim. I think that's where the hope comes in. It comes with a responsibility, but I think there's hope in, in that. I think we all can step up and try to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Well said. Um, well... Is it, uh, are we on to happy tears? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me for either one of these, I don't care. Uh, tell me one moment of happy tears. I think it's tough for Deacon King Kong because they are, like you said, that, um, specific, uh, relationship and kind of the, uh, elements of flirtation and romantic relationship, I think are emotional in that way to where reading them there's moments where I was on the verge there. And it's tough because my specific one was just like the last sentence of the book. And I can't read it because it'll give away a, a big part of the end of the story. And the way the character delivers the final word, I guess, and how it ties into his his past and, and stuff, I think is really quite a perfect ending i guess so i know that's lame i can't spoil i can't do that to anybody i could just visualize and a lot of the parts of the book are really great with that where i can kind of visualize the scene but just specifically on that last one it just was like a really striking image and so yeah. the way uh it left off was was really nice yeah how about you so in the book i had two close calls the first was around Elefante, who I really also, I loved him as a character too and didn't talk enough about, but, um, you know, I, I really appreciated that he is a kind of mobster that knows he lives an immoral life and wants out. I think he's a good guy underneath, right? I don't remember what chapters it's in, but he's thinking about all of kind of those large thematic things about himself in terms of who he is, what he's done, and how he wishes he could live a sort of different life. The book goes through like two pages of deep internal exploration where he's thinking about all these things and it, and it kind of goes on for a while and it's very well written. And then at the, the very end of the chapter, and I don't know what chapter it is, but he says, out loud, he says, I wish, he said softly, somebody would love me. It, it kind of floored me when I read that. I was like, oh, that's it, good. it really... It was impactful for me. And then, so I love that. And then the other close call was between the two I already mentioned, Sister G and Officer Potts. I think it's maybe their second interaction when he comes back around. Really from the minute they met, the first time there was some electricity. And the second time they interact, it's a little more tense. They're not really playing for the same team in terms of Sister G's protecting people in her community. He's asking a bunch of questions. He's filling his police officer duty role. And he goes to leave and he says, if I, when I come back, it's going to be bad news. And she 
calls out, like right before he turns around the corner, she says, even if it's bad news, there's good news bound up in it if you're the one bringing it. And I loved it because it's the first time either one of them had vocalized any sort of affection, even though internally we had been reading so much about how how they were so drawn towards each other. Because that tension builds and it is so exciting when you've seen this affection build up and build up and build up and, and they're longing and yearning, and but they know that nothing could ever happen, but she still kind of sends out a signal, right? That it's the first words of affection and I, I really loved it. So that's, that's it. That's great. Um, and then, so I can just go in to do the right thing, because for, for me, sure. I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, I didn't really have any real happy tears moments until it's just that big ending, man. And it, I think it hits differently now than it did. I mean, even a year ago, it hit pretty hard. But the only thing that would make that scene more relevant is if Raheem literally said the words, "I can't breathe." Otherwise, it's so sad. How, how relevant it is to you know um george floyd and eric garner these men that were both choked to death by police and so it hits so differently now even from a year ago so yeah that's that's my i i lose it every time now to be clear to any new uh listener i guess who might not know our uh guidelines for happy tears that any any time a work of art brings us to tears we look at those as uh positive emotional things and something having that sort of effect on us and yeah so full-on weeping yeah like i'm i i was kind of a mess watching it this time so yeah i don't know about you yeah it's tough to uh go through that without without getting quite emotional like you were saying so it's not only the fact that they killed an innocent black man in a similar way to the way it's happened in real life recently that's bad enough but also that afterwards a riot ensues much like events recently right and then the fire department comes to put out the fire and then while a literal building is burning instead they choose to turn and sick their hoses on people right and <laughs> it's just like it's so even further representative of what the police brutality and Black Lives Matter marches that are going on right now are all about, right? Like, how much police brutality have we seen on Twitter and on the internet in the last two months? Like, it's insane. And so it's just like, the way that Spike used his crystal ball, or maybe he didn't, because things like this were happening happening in the 80s and 90s too, but the way it's still relevant, I, I mean, I could talk all day about it, so I... I should slow down but it's it's just outside of just the death of the one human which is awful and horrible and brought me to tears already then you show the people who are supposed to save the day the firefighters and the police turning on more innocent people rather than putting out the fire and and saving the day right and so it's it's there's a lot built into that and it's very emotional i agreed so um deacon king kong is available now it was published this year, right? It's it's a new novel Correct. as of 2020. Um, yeah, I believe James, in March. In, okay, yeah, so in, in March. And James McBride has, has written a number of novels. Have you read any of his other stuff? No, so yeah, Good Lord Bird um, was his previous novel, and it has been adapted by Ethan Hawke, I believe. Yes, um, yeah, I, I did hear about that. And then I think his most acclaimed other work 
Besides that was the uh, the Color of Water, which is is a nonfiction book. Yeah, it's a memoir. Yeah, there's a couple other that I really like. There's uh, one called Five Carat Soul that I I'd really love to read. And then obviously I I haven't read Good Lord Bird, so I I will get around to doing that as well. And then of course, I mean Spike Lee has been a, uh, a major. Uh, American filmmaker really I mean th- this this film was his huge breakout uh, he was already doing good work I think his first two films are, are actually really good too but obviously this is like I mean you said it it's like essential American film and uh, has made many films since his most recent one is De Five Bloods it's on uh, Netflix and was just released in the last month or so I'm kind of in the middle of a little bit of a Spike Lee binge I started watching uh, Inside Man this afternoon i'll probably finish it tonight nice i'm sure eventually we'll talk more spikely we had talked about maybe doing the five bloods for this but um agreed that do the right thing was just so relevant to the way james mcbride wrote deacon king kong that it just made sense absolutely Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can find more information as well as this episode's show notes at happytearspod.com. You can follow us on all the social media. We're on the Twitter. We rarely use it, but we're on Instagram. That's what we're on the most. We've got a Facebook page that you can like. You can always leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help us grow and, and find more people to listen to our silly little podcasts. So we appreciate it if you would do that. Original theme music by Homage. Uh, you could find him on YouTube at youtube.com slash homage beats and on Instagram at homage beats. We also have a nice uh, little playlist on Spotify for your enjoyment. It is titled Happy Tears Mixtape and we add music to that that we cover on the podcast and I'm sure we'll be adding quite a few new ones to that as we uh, kind of cover the first half of the year and our next episode we are back baby back at it <laughs> too much farewell, farewell!